So, uh, we start our uh, second week of our Christmas at Covenant sermon series. I want to make you aware of a couple things. Uh, just so you know, uh, as we read in the Bible every week, I want to make sure you guys are aware that we have them for you. So if you uh, ever show up here and you go, gosh, I forgot my Bible, I don't have a Bible, or I need a new Bible, or you have a neighbor, a friend, somebody who would want one, we have these available. They're on the shelves right out there if you go past where the coffee is being served. There's a whole shelf full of these, and you can take one, take ten, and we will continue to provide them because God's Word is life. So that's there for you. And then we also have, not quite God's Word, but we have uh, our Word, 4BG, these stickers that were very popular are out. I've seen them in the wild. I've seen them in various places. They're living and breathing species out on their own now. They're multiplying out there. And yet, if you need another one, or you weren't here the Sunday we gave these away, and you go, I'd like one of those, we would love for you to have one. So at the info center, if you tell them you want a sticker, they will get you a sticker or 12. Do whatever you want to do with those, and God bless you with that. So, Christmas at Covenant. Are we ready? Christmas at Covenant this uh, year is an exciting thing for us, and what we're doing for this month is we're kind of walking through these various aspects of uh, Christmas, these various aspects of the Christmas story, and pulling out little bits and pieces that we may need to rediscover. Where we would start today is I would say we live in a world uh, dominated by rationality and busyness. Rationality and busyness. Sports, we'll start with sports. Um, Sports are ruled these days by what are known as analytics. Analytics drive everything in sports. It's the analytic revolution. This is where uh, people go to find the new answers on what to do. Last night, uh, about a hundred of us or so showed up at the BGSU basketball game to cheer on Coach Huger and the team. They won, probably because we were there, so he can thank us later. But they won by like 40 points. It was this incredible performance. Everybody was happy. And um, analytics has even changed basketball. If you watch basketball 30 years ago, um, there was, um, well, there were shorter shorts, but there was a lot of, a lot of two-pointers, um, a lot of layups, little short jump shots, and now you watch basketball, and uh, it's three-pointers taken everywhere. And so 25 years ago, the person who led the league in, in three-pointers attempted would have shot 50, 60, 70 for the whole year. There are NBA teams this year that have shot 50 or 60 in a game. And so the whole thing has changed because analytics, this is, is going to be big math, so hang with me. Three points is worth more than two points. Right. Mathematical revolution. We've learned that three points is worth more than two. So this says that if you have 100 possessions and you shoot 50% on two-pointers, you get 100 points. 50% is pretty good. If you have 100 possessions and you only have to shoot 34% on three-pointers and you get 102 points. So you actually have to be like not nearly as good as accurate. And if you get more points every time you shoot, you get a higher score. So this is what's happened in sports. Uh, NFL teams are punting on second down. No, that's not really happening. But like analytics drives weird behavior where people are like, why did they do that? Well, the math said to do that. It, it drives your online life. If you're like, look, I don't know anything about sports. What are you trying to tell me? You ever notice how the ads on your computer are strangely uh, tiered towards you, right? Everything, every single ad comes from something you've searched before. I recently did uh, a Google search for ugly Christmas sweaters. To, we were in the office and I was showing somebody something and I was like, hey, look, here's where you can find ugly Christmas sweaters. And we laughed. And now every single ad is about ugly Christmas sweaters, mostly Seinfeld-themed ugly Christmas sweaters. And um, while I find that lovely, I'm not paying $67 for a Festivus sweater. So, um, but the algorithm dictates that that's what I want to see. And so it's going to keep putting it in my life. It's rationally putting before me this thing I've previously searched. We, uh, as people, think in economic terms, whether we know it or not. We're doing cost-benefit analysis and opportunity cost uh, things with every Christmas party. Should I go to that? Should I not? If I spend two hours here, what is that there? When I buy this gift here, what does that mean for the other gift I need to buy? 
So we start using economic ideas, adaptive expectations come into play. We become this rational, economic, analytical being. We're calculating everything even when we don't think we are. And it's hard sometimes for rational people to be swept up in the wonder of faith. But faithful people can be rational. It's hard to cultivate wonder, but we can do it. The other thing that's true is that I said we're busy people. Awe and majesty are really uncommon in busyness. Let's put it this way. Uh, On Tuesdays, I have the responsibility of picking up my children, and then I I get them ready for ballet, and they're off to do their afternoon things. Every Tuesday, this is what I do. And while we would all say children are a miracle, right? in the delivery room. You've seen this incredible little being come out. They love me. They know me. Look, she looks just like me. And they're this miracle of creation, and we love them so much. I do not feel that way on Tuesday afternoons. When I'm scrambling around, who lost the ballet shoes? What in the world is your problem? You have chocolate on your face. Come in here. We got to do your bun. Imagine me doing a bun of a six-year-old girl. And what ends up happening is after about the eighth or ninth time that the bun doesn't quite go the way we want it, I take out the clippers and I'm like, we could shave your head today. And she goes, no, not today, dad. And so it just becomes this ongoing problem where I'm, I'm not looking at my kids on Tuesday afternoon and going, you're such a miracle. Look at you. I'm thinking it's a miracle that none of us have thrown a punch yet. So let's just get through the evening and we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm ordering pizza. Everything is done. Okay. Did I, did I tell too much there? Um, in busy lives... In rational lives, in analytic lives, in our efficient drive for more and better and faster, we do not leave much time and space for wonder. Christmas breaks in, and every single year Christmas is here to give us the gift of wonder. Christmas brings the gift of wonder if only we will stop and pay attention from time to time. So today we start in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We'll put it up on the screen for you. It says, in the sixth month, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, for she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Remember those promises from last week. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Wonder, when it invades our life, wonder, one of the first things it does that surprises us, that worries us at times, is wonder begins to shake our faith. It stirs us up. It, it wakes us anew. It sort of wakes us up to the reality around us. And so as we're kind of working through the rut of life and we're doing the day-to-day whatever, wonder comes in and, and just wakes us up. Notice in verse 28, before any pronouncement has been made as to why the angel is even there, all he said is, greetings, the Lord is with you. That's all that's been said so far. And then in response to greetings, the Lord is with you, Mary's response is, she was greatly troubled and wondered, what could this be about? Even in the moment before she knew what it was about, the wonder was being shaken up in her, and and it came with it 
almost sense of foreboding. And we separate those two out, and you go, nothing negative can create wonder. Wonder is like a positive, happy thing that we get when we look at a snow globe and a mat. You know, that, that's not wonder. Wonder comes in all shapes and sizes, and often something negative, often something foreboding that is looming over us can create a sense of wonder because it reminds us how small we are and that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. To enter into wonder is often to be dislodged from comfort. I would, I would not quite make it a rule, but it's close. That It's almost impossible to be in deep comfort and in deep wonder. That you have to be dislodged from your comfort in order to find that wonder. It's why when you live in the flattest place on earth, when you go to the mountains, you're so awed by the sight of altitude. You've been dislodged from the place you're comfortable, and you go to a place where you are then able to experience real wonder. Every Christmas Eve, we look at Mary's story, and, and every Christmas Eve, I feel, or every Christmas, I feel like I say uh, the same thing about Mary. We dismiss her story so quickly because somewhere in us is this idea that it's a primitive story, that these are a primitive people, that, that, you know, they were just simpler back then, that we're so sophisticated now, and I wouldn't react that way. I hear uh, a lot being said in 2018, we're at the height of a sophisticated society. Artificial intelligence is taking hold. We are creating things that are creating things. We're pretty incredible people, is what you hear. You don't have to go very far back to remember a time when we were uh, chasing squirrels around with spears and hoping for that to be dinner. So I started thinking, like, how far back do we have to go before we start thinking people are really simplistic? And I was like, 200 years ago, 87% of the world was illiterate. Just 200 years ago. So, like, the United States existed as a pretty new country, but okay. 200 years ago, 87% of the world is illiterate. And then I was like, well, that doesn't help me because what does that do for us? So what is the thing you do every day that we can compare? And then it, it hit me. I looked up when was the toothbrush invented, lucky for us, about 200 years ago. Up until then, who brushes their teeth? And now you use your lovely Colgate reach with the extra bristles that rub on the gums or whatever you use. Good for you. Some of you are even into the electric ones now. Those are really getting popular. They spin, the spin brush. Way to go. You're very good with your, your hygiene. 200 years ago, what you've been using is a piece of cattle bone. This is a brand new invention. Very exciting for the time. Cattle bone with wild hog hair uh, tied into it. And that was like, you must have been rich to have a toothbrush. 200 years ago, what are you doing over there, Chuck? And you're like, oh, just brushing my face with uh, hog hair. And that was an exciting thing. This is where people were 200 years ago. So then we extrapolate further. And we go, so 200 years ago, people were living basically like savages. 2,000 years ago, these are like Neanderthals. So we unconsciously tie this weird timeline, and we think of biblical times as kind of like, uh, they're just simpler. And so every year I go on this crusade to remind us that that's not at all true, both that they were just as sophisticated as us, and we're not as sophisticated as we think we are. So I did a little bit of, of Googling, and this will show up in my search results and all of the ads for the next six months, so you can uh, just know that I took one for the team here. Two of the, the top shows running on TV for the longest at this point um, that I found. One, uh, both have multiple millions of viewers on average. First one that I found that 16th season is coming up. They're filming right now, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Have you heard of the show? It's about people that are famous because they're famous. It's this weird, it's Inception. They're famous because they're famous, and so then I have the show. And it, I don't know anything about it. The other one that I found was The Bachelor, or The Bachelorette, is in its uh, 712th season, I think. And the, just, it just gains viewers every year. More and more people are watching The Bachelor. And I thought, this is the height of sophistication. This is what we're up to. Unless you be a husband in the room, um, elbowing your wife, seeing like, you watch such silly things. 
Um, there are men in this room who, on Saturdays, love nothing more than getting around the television to watch 19-year-olds or are excited about an hour from now getting around the television to watch 24-year-olds in tight pants and matching shirts tackle each other. And this is fun. This is the height of sophistication. So maybe, as we think about 2,000 years ago, maybe it isn't that we're so sophisticated and they were so simple, but maybe it's because we've become too busy. That our modern way of life has left us too busy and potentially, if we're honest with ourselves, too proud to actually slow down and get caught up in the wonder of the season brand new. Consider what Mary's just been told. She is troubled. She is rattled. She is awed. She is in wonder. The idea that she is going to be the, the carrier of the Messiah. So the question we ask is, where do we recapture wonder in a season like this where busyness only increases? It's not that you slow down in the Christmas season. You have more stuff to go to. Your budget's getting broken by all the different things you have to buy for. You're traveling more. Like all the things that create busyness and chaos in life are on the increase. So where do you recapture wonder? And this isn't the same as sentimentality, so a lot of people will equate the two. And watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special for an hour with hot chocolate is not wonder. It's sentimentality, and that's fine. But it isn't the same thing as creating the sense that maybe there's something bigger going on around here. Where do we find true, I would even say irrational, awe? So we follow Mary to Elizabeth's house and this is where, I think, for Mary, wonder finally sets into her soul permanently. And, and what she gives us as a result, what we'll see in Scripture in a minute, is she gives us what's called the Magnificat, which is just the song. And, and it's called that because the, the Latin, they would take the first word of the song, and that's just the name of the song. And so the first word in Latin is Magnificat. But it's quite literally the very first Christmas carol. And it's Mary's response to capturing the wonder of the season. And then all she can think to do is Magnificat, magnify God. Uh, we'll read it in verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. Mary, overcome by wonder, breaks out in song. When's the last time you did that? Christmas brings us back to wonder first thing I want to notice in Mary's song is actually Mary becomes, in a sense, through the story, you start noticing she becomes the first person to be truly changed by the Christmas message. The idea that the Savior is coming to redeem the world. Mary's the first person to get it and to profoundly have life change as a result of it. Mary's world is rocked by a wild, irrational idea that she is carrying. So she goes to Elizabeth, who, filled with the Holy Spirit, confirms that in her, speaks into her life. Literally, in verse 43, it would have said, And how has it happened to me, Elizabeth says, that the mother of my Lord would come to me? And Mary hears those words, and that's when you sort of, as you're reading the Scripture, it sort of clicks for her, and you go, She kind of knew it, and then Elizabeth said it, and then she really knew it. Does it sound insane to you? that the Holy Spirit and the conception and the virgin 
who's probably 16, 17 years old, by best we can figure, is going to carry the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Does that sound insane to you? Because if it doesn't, we've lost the wonder of the season. If it sounds like, oh yeah, that seems normal. That's that story, I get that. It's become too familiar and we've lost the beauty of it. We've lost the wonder of the idea that this is the way that God chose to save the world. The angel basically tells her, Mary, you're going to be overshadowed and a holy thing will be born out of your womb. God's son is coming, he's becoming human flesh, and you are going to be the one to deliver him to the world. That is insane. She has been changed by this message at the center of her being. And so our first invitation and re-invitation in this season to wonder is to look at Mary's life and ask if we have that same response when we consider what has been done for us, when we consider the truth of the season, not just, um, not just lights and gifts and parties, but when we consider the, the actual reason that we celebrate this Christmas season, does it create something in us like that? Have you been changed by the Christmas message? Tim Keller says it this way, when Mary kind of receives this news, she doesn't say, I sense an improvement. She's been changed. She doesn't sense an improvement. She doesn't say, I've discovered a new technique for overcoming my negative thoughts. In 2018, she wouldn't say, I watched this TED Talk and I'm going to start being a minimalist vegan now. Instead, she says, my soul, my spirit, I've been moved to the depths, I've been changed. Her response to this radical, irrational, wild love is change. What she's saying is, I've never experienced anything that has moved me like this, that has gripped me like this. I've never been so emptied in order to be so filled. A material change happens in Mary's life. So then we ask the question of ourselves, how do I know that I'm a Christian? Well, I know because the Christmas message, this idea that Jesus came to redeem us, that he came to live his life, a sinless life, to die on the cross for you and for me, that idea has changed me. That reality has changed me. I know I'm a Christian because I was emptied of the old self and filled with a life. The overwhelming wild truth is beautiful and powerful and it's uncontainable when we stop to think about it. The light of Christ coming overpowers and illuminates every dark corner of our lives. We are being made new even now. And if there's ever a season that should help us get that, if there's ever a season that should remind us of the beauty of that, of just the radical nature of how it came to be, it's this one. Our response is to be like Mary's response. She grips her heart. She says, my soul, my spirit. And then she gushes about God's greatness. She says, for behold, and then just tells about how incredible he is. It's a song of astonishing beauty, and it is uh, full of deep truth. God's mercy, she recalls Abraham. We talked about promises last week, about how this is known through all the Jews, that there is this promise still coming. And she realizes in the moment, not only is the promise of Abraham real, but the fulfillment is in me. Christmas brings us back to truth. Truth and wonder. So let's talk about Christmas music for just a second. When you hear on September 3rd or whatever day they start playing Christmas music on the radio again or in the stores, when Target or Walmart, when they get the Christmas trees out, and it's like six weeks before Halloween now, they're just staging, they're just getting ready. Christmas in July used to be like a sales technique, and now it's just normal. Like, oh, yeah, that's the permanent Christmas hour. When you hear Christmas music in September, how does it make you feel? For some in the room, you feel warm and fuzzy. Oh, my favorite time is coming back. For others in the room, myself included, 
you would feel what I will call a little pukey. Ugh, really? Already? And so you start hearing on the radio, Frosty the Snowman. Or uh, the, the latest from the last few years, regain popularity, baby, it's cold outside. Or, from 1984, do they know it's Christmas? You know that one? From Band Aid? You know, they were helping Africans who were starving. It's a good idea, but when you think about these songs, what you realize is one is about a maniac snowman. Listen to it again. Baby, it's cold outside is just weather-justified fornication being thrown in your face. Go listen again. I'm sorry I ruined it. The third one, um, this idea about um, do they know it's Christmas is actually the worst of them all. It has all the stars of the day, and what it's basically saying is I wonder if people in Africa know it's Christmas which is the most condescending message you can possibly say because having lived in Africa, yes, they know it's Christmas. Like, they're very aware that it's Christmas. But the song is like, you know, thank God it's them instead of you. What? So, enjoy that. Don't get me started on the awful Bruce Springsteen version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. I hear that song and I want to rip the radio out of the car and throw it out the window. And if you like it and you're offended, send me an email. I will send you a copy of that song and listen to it over and over and just see how long it takes. That song is terrible. Okay, I think a little bit of my jadedness is coming out at the moment. We need to take a deep breath. I've not always been the most excited about Christmas season, Christmas songs. I'm a little jaded, and I think part of the reason, and I would confess this, part of the reason I got to this space where when I see Christmas stuff coming, um, I, I quote, and you can ask people in the office, I start quoting the line from Babe, the pig, the classic movie, Babe the Pig, where it's like the duck runs around saying, Christmas means carnage, Christmas means carnage, Christmas means carnage. And I just start quoting that all around Christmas. And people are like, this is, this is not really normal behavior. You're really, you're supposed to be celebrating the season. I'm like, yeah, I celebrate the carnage. And, and so it's just, I'm working something out in front of you right now, and I'm okay with that. What happened and where I think I got and where we get as a society is we've conflated two things that don't go together. We've conflated chestnuts roasting on an open fire with Oh Holy Night. And we've started to think they're the same thing because 105, 1015, the river plays them back to back. And so you're like, well, that's cool. And Mariah Carey sings all of them. And so they must all be the same. But they're not. They're not the same thing. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire have no truth in them the way that a Christmas song has truth in it. And what we've lost is the beauty of the truth of the season. And when we lose the truth, we lose the wonder. And so the way to recapture the wonder of the Christmas season is to dive back into the truth of the season. And so when we sing Joy to the World or Hark the Herald Angels Sing or Oh Holy Night, these songs are more than songs. They are truth vessels carrying the goodness of God back into our lives again. They remind us of his nature. He rules the world with truth and grace and wonders of his love. That's his nature being delivered back to us to re-ingest and think about and live out. They remind us of his purpose, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. The purpose of God in sending Jesus was to reconcile us to himself. From the beginning of creation, he had a plan, and that song should remind us every time we should get goosebumps to recognize that God's plan to save you and me was to give his own son. Reminds us of his awe-inspiring invasion of our lives, his unwillingness to allow us to perish, his incredible, sacrificial, never-ending love for us. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. That line wrecks me. I told Susie, I'm going to spoil this, we're about to sing this song. I was telling Susie that during the first service, that line came up, and I've already said out loud that this song wrecks me. So I think that's sort of like my guard against actually letting it wreck me. If I've said it, then I've kind of gotten rid of that idea. 
and she belts out the old holy night line, and just my right eye starts crying. And so I sit over there, and so no one in the church can actually see that I'm not, you know, everybody thinks I'm pretty normal, but my right eye is just, I'm just bawling like an idiot, and I don't know why it's only one side. But something in that gets me. A weary world rejoices. We think of that in our conflation of the holiday season. We think the weary world is that we're tired of Christmas parties and shopping and our budgets are weary and our belts are weary because we've been doing all the Christmasing that we do. It isn't about that. It's that you and I are weary from carrying the weight of our sin through the world and the weary world rejoices when Jesus shows up in a feeding trough. And we go, oh, that's a holy night. And it should stun us and stop us in our tracks every time we hear it to remember. I think back to the feeling of praying uh, in my own life to receive Christ and committing to follow him with my days. And I remember the supernatural reality of that moment. I literally have the memory of the, the guilt and the shame that I'd carried through that day releasing, like being lifted off of me. I recall the tears that poured down my face And it was as if the newness of Jesus was pushing out the salty sin of my old life. These songs are truth bombs being detonated in our hearts if we will only let them in. We sing to celebrate great truth. We sing to magnify the Lord. We sing to recapture the wonder of his love in a season like this. As Mary said, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. This year, may you be filled with wonder anew. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we would confess that we get caught up in a season. And the efficiency and the busyness, Father, in the buying and the collecting, traveling, God, in that we lose you sometimes. But in the time of most beautiful anticipation of your arrival, of the invasion of your goodness and your grace in a world desperate for it, Father, we lose it. So my prayer today, God, is that you would reinvade us, that you would remind us of your wonder, of your truth, that, Father, as we rest in that, that we would be filled to overflowing with the awe of your great love. Father, as we chase after you in a season that is not designed for you anymore, may we rediscover your goodness, and in doing so, may we rekindle the wonder that you've caused in this world. Pray in your son's name. Amen.